One, two, three, A and P. This is going to be among my first lectures on the uh, podcast here. This is a lecture <clears throat> for anatomy and physiology, part two, covering the cardiovascular system. And this is going to serve as a review for my students for their first exam. So, cardiovascular system essentially is comprised of blood, heart, and circulation. The blood is pumped throughout a circuit, essentially. What is special about blood? Okay, so blood is a substance, and from antiquity, from the time that we <clears throat> were walking around in these bodies, I don't know, as some humanoid figure, we realized that if the blood spilled out of our bodies, that that would be a bad thing. Got to keep the blood in your body, right? <clears throat> Otherwise, you were going to die. There's other lore, of course. You got in horror films, there's, it's all about blood. There's all kinds of phrases. Bloody hell. Blood is thicker than water. Um, <clears throat> blood in, blood out. Vampires suck blood, right, from unsuspecting victims. So uh, there, it's understood and appreciated by science, uh, as well as the layperson, empirical findings, that blood is a life-giving substance. It is a liquid, but it's got stuff within it. What makes blood red? There's a compound called hemoglobin which is an iron-containing compound, um, just like we would call, refer to Mars as the red planet. The red blood cell is named such, called the erythrocyte. It's red because it carries iron on it, a lot of it. And these hemoglobin molecules are very complex in their shape and orientation on a microscopic level. The red blood cells are just smothered with hemoglobin which bonds with oxygen. So when gas exchange occurs, when we breathe deeply, we allow so many hemoglobin, so many oxygen molecules from the air we breathe to bind with hemoglobin and therefore be carried via our circulation or our bloodstream throughout the body to every cell, tissue, organ, and system. So blood, it's got a liquid component that's called plasma. Plasma is 90% water, and there are also plasma proteins, like albumin and globulin and fibrinogen. These plasma proteins are dissolved proteins. They're substances dissolved within the liquid component of blood. Albumin is going to have a lot to do with onchotic pressure, so the pressure within the fluid. Um, globulin is going to have to is going to be involved with the immune response, and fibrinogen is going to have to do with the clotting mechanisms, clotting cascade. Should we sustain an injury or a cut, the clotting mechanisms will take place, and and that plasma protein, so to speak, will be playing an important role. So there's the liquid component of blood, which is plasma, it's largely clear, maybe straw in color. And then you've got the red blood cells, which is the largest component 
of the blood. Red blood cells are called erythrocytes. They have no nucleus. They sacrifice all of the standard organelles or parts within the cell, the somatic cell, like the nucleus and the um, endoplasmic reticulum and such. They sacrifice that basically to load up on hemoglobin. So a lot of hemoglobin is carried on the erythrocyte or red blood cell. There's also a lot of nutrition that is carried on the red blood cell. So the dissolved chemicals from the foods that we eat, we eat and drink. So pro proteins are broken down into um, amino acids, and those climb on board the red blood cell. Fatty acids broken down from fat. And finally, simple sugars from glucose, from uh, carbohydrates that we consume. All that nutrition is carried. The nutrients are carried on the red blood cell. Waste products from cells that are constantly functioning right now are, for instance, our muscle cells, our liver cells, our kidney cells, our brain cells. When they are working, they're respirating. They're this, those little cells, whatever tissue it's part of, and it's named some, those, those tissues require, they, they, they do work. And as a result, imagine a car that is idling. It's doing work. The engine is running, it's ready to go. Well, there are certain byproducts, waste products like carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, <clears throat> certain uh, other chemicals that are emitted. You can think of them as like exhaust. So we need, those are waste products that we need to uh, carry away from cells. Otherwise, they will accumulate, and that would be just like leaving our trash all over the place. We take our trash to the dump, in which case the dump is either uh, taken to the liver, and we salvage what we can, or the kidneys, or we will pee or poop it out, right? Or micturate and defecate it out. So the red blood cell does a whole lot. It carries oxygen, it carries nutrients, it carries wastes, it carries heat, it connects things, it transports things. Therefore, blood is a connective tissue because it connects all the components of the body, all the organ systems, tissues throughout the body require blood to function optimally. So we've got plasma and the most abundant formed element, quote-unquote, and that is the red blood cell. Next we have white blood cells, or the leukocytes. Leukos means white cell. So leukocytes are part of the immune system. There are a variety of them. They all are essentially warriors on a battlefield. So you've got lymphocytes, and these are, or backing up, we'll go neutrophils first. Neutrophils are the most abundant white blood cell you're going to see on the microscope slide. They are Pac-Man cells, so they go around, they're very phagocytic. In other words, if they find a critter like a bacteria or something or a piece of trash, they will gobble it up just like a Pac-Man or a Ms. Pac-Man, chew it up and digest it, and then finally they'll spit it out. So they keep us safe. Their frontline berserker are the neutrophils. Next we have the lymphocytes, and the lymphocytes are um, another warrior, 
And what they like to do, they can transform into either a B lymphocyte or a T lymphocyte and perform specific functions. So lymphocytes, there's about 25% of the, of the white blood cell supply are lymphocytes, whereas neutrophils are about 60-ish percent. So they're very common next to the lymphocytes. So they will turn into a B cell, and B cells, what they do is they, they create antibodies. Antibodies are like little antidotes. They produce um, a response, like a chemical response to um, an antigen or some sort of foreign critter, uh, an enemy in the, in the gates, whatever, enemy in the wire. They give the warning sign about bad guys in the vicinity. Lymphocytes. Those are the B lymphocytes, which transform into plasma cells. And then finally, those plasma cells will produce antibodies. The B lymphocytes will also clone themselves. And so this helps us accumulate an immune response so that if we see an enemy, we recognize it and we'll see it again. We'll notice it very quickly. And this is how the immune system is very responsive. Lymphocytes can also turn into T lymphocytes, and these are otherwise called cytotoxic cells or killer T cells. And these are poisoners. They like to go over and they'll stab a needle into the side of, uh, of a bacteria, let's say, and poison it. So neutrophils, lymphocytes, then we've got eosinophils, which appear red, and they've got little granules in there. I didn't mention that there are, of the white blood cells, there are the granulocytes and the agranulocytes. So the granulocytes just look like they have little rocks in there, little bubbles within the cytoplasm. These are all filled with some sort of um, poison, think of like little grenades, poison grenades, and if... If uh, that white blood cell approaches uh, or encounters a bacteria or some sort of foreign substance, it'll throw out one of these grenades, boom, and it'll clean up that area, neutralize the enemy. So the eosinophils appear red under a microscope in certain staining techniques, and they are very prevalent in allergic reactions. They're not very common, maybe 2 maybe 5%, depending upon slide, the peripheral smear specimen. Next are basophils, and they appear blue. Basophils are going to uh, be weakly phagocytic like the eosinophil. They will chew on something every now and then, but what they really like to do is poison things. So they'll, uh, in the case of an allergic reaction, once again, the basophils will release um, uh, what's called histamine and heparin. These are chemicals that'll help to accelerate the inflammatory response. There's also a cell called a macro, a, a monocyte. Monocytes are really, really big. And monocytes become macrophages, like a super Pac-Man. Imagine when Pac-Man eats a, like a, um, gets one of those special vitamins, and it gets a real charge out of that. monocytes grow larger and they'll just gobble everything up that gets in their way. All the bad guys, 
they're very capable of gobbling up monocytes. I think I got them all. So those are the white blood cells, and they're basically ass kickers, frontline berserkers. They are our immune system. I should mention that all blood products are produced in a process called hemopoiesis, and that occurs within the red marrow in the, in the developed human being. That hemopoiesis occurs, occurs in the red marrow. So within our bones, we've got blood cells being made, and that's why you hear every once in a while, God forbid, you hear about somebody having to have a bone marrow transplant because they have some sort of condition that is attacking maybe an autoimmune condition, maybe cancer, leukemia, something like that. The red blood, the um, bone marrow is being disrupted in its production of blood products. And that's not good for all the reasons that we've talked about. All the A and P of the blood is going to suffer. What else about blood? Okay, we got platelets or thrombocytes. These are all about clotting. So they are created by a blank slate cell, uh, just like all of these formed elements, quote unquote, those are the, the cells or the stuff within the blood. Formed elements are produced by hemopoiesis within the marrow cavity. And they all start with a parent cell line. So like a, a blank slate or a, um, a stem cell, all right? And <clears throat> thrombocytes start with what's called a megakaryocyte. So it's this big cell that breaks up into little chunks, and those little chunk, pale, little tiny, little pale-looking bodies, maybe look like a teardrop or something like that, scattered across the, um, the slide. Those are thrombocytes, and they help us to clot. So if there were, you would sustain a paper cut, something like that. Uh, the thrombocytes would migrate towards the site of injury, and they would lay down themselves within that, that break in the wall, and they would also encourage something called fibrin um, to be laid down. With fibrin's like a, <clears throat> like a fiber, looks like rope. And they'll lay that, that down and they'll, and they'll snuggle up in that um, cut. And then the wound will heal and we will see that whole process slaw off in the form of a scab, right? Completely healing the stratified squamous epithelium. So, that is blood. What does blood do? It flows. But it just doesn't flow passively. It has to be pumped. So the heart does that. All right? The heart is a almost pound in uh, you know, 300 grams or something like that, or uh, 10 ounces to a pound. It lives within an area posterior to the sternum called the mediastinum. And this is a central soft tissue mass posterior to the sternum, contains the heart and lungs and the great vessels. The heart is about the size of your fist. It's got some features, surface anatomy, it's got an apex which points to the fifth uh, inter, uh, intercostal space where you can feel the apical beat. This is where the left ventricle is going to be heard to contract. So you can auscultate that with your stethoscope. This anus doing good. Staring there, did anything for you, Peter? 
So you can hear, you can palpate, and you can auscultate the, um, that apical beat pulse at that fifth intercostal space on the left. That is the apex of the heart. The base of the heart is it sits right on top of the uh, diaphragm. So our largest primary respiratory muscle, the diaphragm, it's kind of like an inverted U shape. <clears throat> separates the thoracic and abdominal pelvic cavities. The base is going to sit, it's going to rest, and it'll be a little bit flattened right on top of the diaphragm. The great vessels are going to emerge from the heart. I'm talking about the aorta, the superior and inferior vena cava, the pulmonary trunk, large diameter arteries and veins. <clears throat> there are three types of um, tissue, three la uh, layers to the heart. The innermost layer is called the endocardium, and it's very, very slippery. It's created by a single layer of, of uh, simple squamous epithelium, and underlying that is going to be some areolar connected tissue. So the result is it's like a slip inside, slide inside. Very, very slippery for the blood to kind of bounce around and flow optimally. We don't want the blood sticking to the inside of the heart. It would clot and there would be problems, right? So the endocardium serves that slippery uh, function. Keeps the flow optimal. Hey, baby. Hey, how are you? Good. You all dressed up yet? Oh, okay. Well, the sun's coming up. It's going to be a good day, sweetheart. Brush those fangs. Brush those fangs and get yourself ready for school. I'm heading in myself here. And, uh, yeah, got a review for my exam today. Oh, I hope Mommy remembers to copy my test. I'll, I'll, met, I'll reach out to her and make sure that she does. So what do you what do you got going on today? No. Well, as a as we're gonna do it to our best ability, right? Yeah. I guess Sam has his uh, clinic tonight. Do you have anything tonight? All right, that's good. We'll uh, see what happens. Maybe take Sam over and you and relax. Yeah. How's my? Hey, I saw a Mo I saw a Mojane. Mojane. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you talked to mommy. You talked to mommy yet this morning? Talk to her. Tell her to remind her to get my test. I love your call right when I arrived at school. I love you, baby. Love you. Bye-bye. Oh, my little girl. See, that's my heart. I love that little sweetheart. She's such a such a good kid. And it breaks my heart that I can't 
deposit her on the corner for, uh, <clears throat> you know, at the school bus. Uh, she's going to have to, just the fact of the fact of the matter, I can't be there. Got to head to my seat of my students. So, um, where were we? Three layers of the heart. The endocardium, very slippery. The myocardium is next, and that is all muscle. All right, so the myocardium is the contract is responsible for the, the heart's contracting and pumping. And we know a little bit about the myocardium, heart muscle, from our studies in histology, right? So we've got it's a striated muscle. It's involuntary. In other words, we don't have uh, control over it. The um, autonomic nervous system controls the heart plugs into it, fires it, and it's got a, a unique feature called the intercalated disc, and these are these little tight junctions that hold the myocardial uh, individual muscle fibers together, kind of like, and they, they, they're strung up kind of like Christmas lights, where when one muscle fiber beats, they all beat in unison, the intercalated disc. Muscle cells require a lot of ATP because they're constantly beating. They have a lot, they're multinucleated and that's the better part of the, of the heart is comprised of the myocardium. Endocardium, myocardium. Heart muscle. It's what gives the heart shape and function in terms of its contracting. The outside of the heart is essentially a slippery membrane with some connective tissue like fat and collagen and stuff. It's a tough outer covering of the heart, which kind of gives it a little bit of a shell, holds everything together. Of the heart, there are four chambers. And these are these spaces that are created by various septum. So, for instance, there's something called the interventricular septum. It's a wall between the ventricles. And the four chambers are two atria, a left and a right atria. And then we've got two ventricles, the left and the right ventricles. Trace a blood, drop of blood through the heart. Venous return is going to arrive, that is deoxygenated blood is going to arrive and be drained from the upper and lower body, parts of the body, into these large diameter great vessels called the superior and inferior vena cava. These structures are going to dump their entire contents, they're about the thickness of your thumb, kind of a floppy uh, vessel but very thick because they need to drain the head, the neck, the shoulders, the arms, the legs, all that stuff, everything in between. It's drained into the superior and inferior vena cava. They're going to dump all their blood into the right atrium, which is going to fill up, glug, glug, glug. Right atrium is going to fill to the brim and it's going to push open what's called the atrioventricular valve or the right atrioventricular valve, otherwise known as the tricuspid. 
meaning it's got three parts. They look like parachutes. So these three, these three parachute leaflets are going to be the cusps, hence the tricuspid. Pressure in the right atrium forces that open, and then all the blood's going to fill into the right ventricle. Once it fills up, the pressure in the right ventricle is going to cause initiated contraction, and the majority of that blood is going to be ejected through what's called the pulmonary valve, which is a different specific type of valve. It's called a, a pulmonary, a, a semilunar valve, and the pulmonary valve. Blood courses up from the right ventricle, is powerfully pumped through the semilunar valve of the uh, pulmonary trunk, goes out, breaks off into two pulmonary arteries. Pulmonary arteries are going to go to the lungs, where our gas exchange is going to allow oxygen to be loaded onto the red blood cell and CO2 is going to hop off. We exhale the CO2, we absorb the oxygen onto the blood, it gets bound with hemoglobin and the blood takes it every which way. When the blood returns from the, the, the lungs to the heart, it's going to arrive at the left atrium and the left atrium is going to fill up via the four pulmonary veins. So veins draining or taking the oxygenated blood now to the heart called the pulmonary veins and they are going to dump into the left atrium which fills up, pushes open the left AV valve, atrioventricular valve, otherwise known as the mitral valve, mitral valve or the bicuspid because it's only got two of those parachute leaflets. The blood from the left atrium goes through the right AV or left AV valve fills up the left ventricle, which is the big, powerful, most powerful um, chamber of the heart. We can feel its beat and auscultate its beat at the fifth intercostal space on the left and the apex of the heart. That is going to powerfully pump and it's going to force the blood out into the systemic circulation via the aorta. So that is tracing a drop of blood through the heart. Sounds complex, but you go through that a million times, you'll get it, you'll understand it. Um, and that is slowing things down considerably. We know that there's some values for the heart, so the heart rate is 60 to 100 beats per minute. Anything above 100 beats per minute can be considered tachycardia, elevated heart rate. As we're talking about at rest here, when you're exercising, it would be normal to have a heart rate above 100. Anything below 60 at, at rest is going to be called bradycardia a very slow um. Hey Beaner How are you? You all set? Okay time you got to be there okay I would leave at like uh, 756 you know you got a little bit of time you got a little bit of time just relax relax with Mojane if you can 
grab your grab your gear. The sun's shining. Sun should be shining good up there on a country view way. So I would just uh, snuggle up. Make sure you have your gloves on and some and some uh, warm shoes in your coat, and you'll be just fine. All right. I'll call you in five minutes. I love you. Pack your snacks. All right, so we um, we pump that blood. We track it. Once the blood is pumped, now there's two different types, two different circuits. So there's the pulmonary circuit, which is going to send blood to the lungs to be oxygenated. And that's important because all cells need oxygen in order to undergo cellular respiration. This is how cells breathe. This is like how cells fuel up. They need oxygen. And then they can carry out all their functions. That's their fuel. So there's the pulmonary circuit, which facilitates gas exchange. And there is the systemic circuit, which is all about servicing all of the anatomy. It's going to send blood out to the brain and arms and legs and digestive system everywhere. And that's going to be driven, the systemic circuit is going to be driven by the left ventricle. Powerful, thick, flexible chamber. Whereas the right ventricle is going to pump blood through the the, uh, pulmonary circuit. So we got the pumping action, we've got the blood, the substance we need, the life-giving substance that connects all things and transports everything. The immune system rides on it, the bloodstream, and so does oxygen, nutrients, wastes are carried away, heat is transported. There's just a lot that happens with blood flowing. And we need to get it around, so we basically have the circulatory system. And this is comprised of arteries, veins, various diameters, so various thicknesses, capillaries, and these rich capillary beds service everything. I posted some images about capillary beds in the fingers and toes. You can see them right at the very right deep to your fingernails. You can you can see these capillary beds in some of these images, and they're really beautiful and rich. And they're important. Our vasculature is all throughout our body. Imagine like, you know, trees or vines or something like that growing. This guy better have the fucking guts. There he does. I love it. Um, Awesome. So our vasculature grows throughout our body. And if we're healthy, we've got a strong heart, full capacity of blood, roughly four to five liters within our body circulating and our circulatory system our arteries and veins are good alright so arteries are typically depicted as red and they pump they, they transmit blood oxygenated blood from the systemic circuit from the left ventricle veins are not as um, strong impressive in um, their structure. So not as round, they're lumen with a hole. It's kind of floppy because veins are all about passive draining 
of blood that has already been used. So you find deoxygenated blood flowing through veins. That's why we depict it as blue. The presence or absence of oxygen. So we get the blood via arteries, the biggest artery, the aorta. Systemic circuit pumps it via the aorta. And that's going to service our entire anatomy. Once the blood and all its contents have been delivered at the cells, the far reaches of our body, that deoxygenated blood has got to replenish itself. So in order to do that, it needs to complete its circuit back to the heart and then be oxygenated and grab more nutrition and so on and so forth, drop off the wastes. And so imagine the blood all the way down in your feet right now. On this cold day, your feet might be a little bit cold and numb, and your circulation might not be so good down there because just because of the temperature. <clears throat> These are the farthest points away from our heart, and this is why people with diabetes or some sort of um, atherosclerosis, a blood flow problem, they're going to have problems with their fingers and their toes because they're just the farthest place for us to service via the cardiovascular system. We can increase our blood flow and, this, and the, um, the efficiency of our cardiovascular system by the training effect. So by exercising, by eating, getting proper nutrition, by keeping our body composition in a good place. keeping in shape, essentially. If you look at a cross-section, a horizontal cut of an artery, it's got three layers, just like the heart has three layers. So it's got tunics, or layers. The tunica intima is just like the endocardium, it's very slippery. Imagine a slip and slide, a log flume on the inside of the vessel. It's comprised of simple squamous epithelium. The middle tunic, or the tunica media, is muscular. It's made of stinking skeletal muscle. Hey, baby. Hey, it's time. It's time to go, I think. There you go. Grab all your stuff. And it's time to get going. Listen, I love you and you stay warm. Get on that bus. And I couldn't love you more. Have a great day. I'll do my best as well. And I will see you this evening before you know it. Yeah. Oh, you're the greatest. You are the greatest. I couldn't love you more, babe, and I thank you for that. I know that she wouldn't forget, but, you know, it's first day back to school, so. Okay? Listen, I love you. Have a great day.
Okay, we'll call that a wrap with the cardiovascular system. Listen, heart, blood, circulation, you got to friggin' pump it. You got to circulate to percolate and take care of your cardiovascular system. Train it, exercise, one hour a day, uh, get your heart rate up, and kick ass and take names. Huh!